Bitcoin has been up again, down again, but lingering in that twenty-nine dollars to $31,000 range. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen admits that not only was she wrong about inflation not being transitory, but that she doesn't necessarily see it slowing down anytime soon, although she hopes it does. And Senator Cynthia Lummis and Kristen Gildebrand introduced Bitcoin legislation in the United States Senate. That and more on today's episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. you sexy sat stackers and welcome to the latest episode of the bitcoin bulletin podcast today is wednesday june 8th 2022 and that means it is dca wednesday this is going to be our 46th 46th stack in this journey that we began all the way back almost a year ago we've been stacking for 11 months we began stacking every wednesday on wednesday july 28th So we've stacked 45 times already, and this will be stack number 46. Before we get into all that, though, real quick, a look at the vital statistics. The Bitcoin time chain is humming along, and we're currently sitting at a block height of 739,967. Bitcoin is worth approximately $30,255, or 3,305 sats per dollar. That's up a little bit. From last Wednesday, about $625 more than last Wednesday. However, uh, for the last one, two, three, four, five, six weeks or so, Bitcoin has been trading basically between $29,000 and $30,000. This is actually the highest it's been in the last six weeks, and the lowest we uh, saw was $28,850, so about $29,000 to $30,000. Although, um, one of the neat things about dollar cost averaging is that's smoothed out quite a bit. Because if you were looking at the charts, we had what people were referring to the classic Bart Simpson pattern where it shot up uh, to about 32-something and then immediately dropped back down. Uh, someone was joking that it was the Bart Simpson followed by the upside-down Bart Simpson. Uh, there are all kinds of great charts out there on Reddit of people having fun with, uh, fun with that. There was a Bitcoin whale chart. And, of course, uh, it's almost always uh, the comments that make it worth it. But nonetheless, uh, Bitcoin seems to be stuck in this $30,000 range, whether or not that's a bottom as plan B alluded to a couple weeks ago, as we mentioned, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, it's, it always feels like this time is different, right? Quote, this time is different. But if the four years having cycle holds true, it seems like every year we go sideways for about a year. And then there's some huge black swan or capitulation event, like, for example, in 2017, Bitcoin dropped from almost 20 down to around 10, and it kind of bounced between 8 and 10. It went up to like 15 or 16 again. But in general, it was trapped in the, about the $10,000 or $8,000 price range, and then it just tanked all the way down to 3000 something, although just briefly before beginning the, the, the next bull run. So um, past performance is no guarantee of future results, but as they say, 
Even though history doesn't repeat itself, it does tend to rhyme. So only time will tell whether whether this is a bottom, whether we're going to be bouncing around here until the 2024 halving cycle, uh, or whatever the case may be. But that's where we find ourselves with Bitcoin ringing in about $30,255. If you wanted to trade your shiny yellow rocks for Bitcoin, it's now going to cost you 16.3 ounces of gold to buy just one Bitcoin, more than 16 one-ounce coins, more than a whole pound of Bitcoin, correction, a whole pound of gold just to buy one Bitcoin. And that's up a little bit. Last week, it was exactly one pound at 16.0 ounces of gold for uh, one Bitcoin. And it's been bouncing around that 16 range, just like the prices of Bitcoin has been pretty stable for about six weeks or so now. Um, I think the most expensive we've seen it was last uh was this week, I guess, 16.3. Last week was 16.0. The week before that was 16.1. The week before that was 16.2. Then back down to 16.0. So Bitcoin's been worth about one ounce of gold pretty consistently for a little over a month now. As you know, last month we celebrated the 12th anniversary of Bitcoin Pizza Day. Maybe there's 13th. Not doing my math right. Um, Bitcoin Pizza Day, of course, marking the anniversary of when Laszlo Hyens bought uh, two Papa John's pizzas. Lazlo Hanyak, I've always have a hard time pronouncing his, his last name. Sorry, Lazlo. Purchased two Papa John's pizzas for ten thousand Bitcoin. That being the first recorded transaction of Bitcoin for real world goods, uh, kicking off the Bitcoin market as we know it today. So we always thank Lazlo and remember and celebrate. Of course, that was a couple weeks ago, and we did a Bitcoin Pizza Day episode. But today. One Bitcoin will buy you 1,813 Papa John's pizzas. That's up from 1776 last week. So um, pizza number go up and to the right, or at least the number of pizzas are going up and to the right as the value of Bitcoin increases uh, because the, uh, well, the, the price of, the, of a large pepperoni pizza at Papa John's is held pretty steady, although with inflation, that metric may change and that might influence as well, but for right now, um, the price of a large pepperoni pizza, Papa John's, has remained consistent throughout the entirety of this podcast lifespan. So um, it's been a pretty fun index to watch. Oil, of course, is through the roof in U.S. dollar terms. A barrel of Brent crude will cost you one hundred and twenty-three dollars and sixty cents a barrel today, and that will set you back four hundred and eight thousand four hundred and ninety-eight sats. That is up quite a bit. In the last couple of weeks, we were bouncing around the 380,000 sats per barrel range for a barrel of oil. So now we're over 408,000 sats, almost 409,000 sats for one barrel of oil. That, of course, being because the price of oil is darn near all-time record highs and only getting worse. As you know, gasoline has never been more expensive. Even when adjusted for inflation, gas prices are through the roof. If you pay attention to that sort of thing, the all-important or not important, depending on your perspective, market capitalization of Bitcoin is up $12.1 billion this week to $576.7 billion. Obviously, nowhere near the $1 trillion market cap that we breached on the way up for our, both of our double highs for this year's uh, bull run. But uh, that's not too shabby and still makes it by far the largest coin by cap, by market cap. Of course, the only one that matters, in my opinion, especially, um, 
you know, if you're not a S-coiner. Now, there's some more news we'll talk about in a little bit about the, uh, the bill that's introduced in the Senate that uh, is more of a crypto bill than a Bitcoin bill. But um, for those of you who pay attention to market cap, uh, Bitcoin's been pretty consistent, again, for about a month and a half, languishing in the $5.5 billion range. The mempool has cleared up quite a bit compared to last week. Last week's it was going to take you 10 blocks uh, to clear uh, all the transactions that were pending in the mempool. And right now there are only a handful of transactions in the mempool and all of them we're going to clear in the next block if nothing changes. Um, So last week I said it was, like I said, it was 10 blocks to clear and now uh, it's not. Although uh, if you you want to... uh, put a one sat per byte transaction through that will still clear within a day. Obviously that'll clear in the next block right now, if nothing changes, although they are recommending nine sats per block to be included, to guarantee your transactions included in the next block that is down dramatically from the 19 sats per block. They were recommending just last week and the all important 24 hour transaction rate that I like to follow is humming along at 3.14 transactions per second or pi that's down a tiny bit from the 3.22 transactions per second in the last week or 3.39 transactions per second the week before. Uh, but it's still above that magic number I like to see of three transactions per second. Again, these are on-chain transactions. And with the Lightning Network becoming ever more popular, of course, those transactions and transactions where people are just buying and selling, trading back and forth on an exchange aren't actually included. These are transactions actually taking place on-chain but 3.14 transactions per second is indicative of a uh, pretty healthy Bitcoin usage in my in my personal opinion. So that is good. And speaking of the blockchain, we just had a mining difficulty increase of 1.3%. Not a huge increase, but an increase nonetheless. We're currently 1,921 blocks away until the next mining difficulty increase. And of course, that is so far away that um, it's almost impossible to get an accurate look at whether it's going to be an increase or a decrease to forecast that. Currently, depending where you get your information, we're looking at anywhere between a 0.65 and a 26.6% increase. Obviously, that will um, a lot of things will change as we get closer. So those numbers are those numbers are all over the place because it's just so far away. But currently, uh, even though we're barely into this this difficulty epic, blocks are averaging seven minutes and 55 seconds. Like I said, that is likely to change and it's still too soon to get a read. But 7 minutes and 55 seconds is significantly faster than the 10 minutes in between blocks that uh, the Bitcoin Bitcoin Core is, Bitcoin Core targets. As you know, the difficulty that it takes to mine a block is either increased or decreased depending on how much activity is out there, how much mining activity is out there. If a lot of miners are mining, that means that blocks are going to be found more frequently and therefore the difficulty will increase to keep it at a 10-minute average. And if miners come offline, uh, as happened when China banned mining a couple of months ago, uh, then blocks start coming in slower. And if they come in slower, we get a difficulty decrease. Um, And of course, if they were ever to come in at exactly 10 minutes and no seconds, then difficulty would remain the same. All right. Um, Just a reminder, we are available on all the podcasting 2.0 apps out there, such as the Breeze Wallet and the Fountain app. Uh, If you 
feel so inclined, we would appreciate you listening on Podcasting 2.0 and supporting that project. If you're not familiar with what Podcasting 2.0 is, that's value for value. You can still listen to your podcasts for free, but if you want to help out your favorite podcasts, you can do so by streaming them sats. Uh, You can set it up to stream one Satoshi per minute or whatever you feel uh, is appropriate based on how much value you feel you're getting out of listening to these podcasts. Or you can keep it set at zero sats per second and hit boost, uh, which is basically like tipping. If a podcast says something that you particularly enjoy or towards the end of the podcast, you feel like you really enjoyed that podcast and you want to you want to tip them, you hit that boost button and you can send whatever you want uh, in sats to support your favorite podcast. Again, that's available on uh, Fountain App and the Breeze Wallet. And, uh, you know, you would think that as, as uh, Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister at TechPalt likes to say, why pay what you can get for free? But... It's kind of like passing a musician on the street and he has his tin cup or his hat out. And if you really enjoy that musician, you throw a couple of coins in there. And you don't have to. You can listen to the music for free. But if you want to support your favorite artist, you tip them. And and not everybody does. But ironically, uh, or not ironically, uh, fortunately, uh, some people do. And that's how these musicians make their living. And we don't have any sponsors on this podcast other than we have... Uh, uh, we're, we are on the, uh, there's a little, there's a little ad for, it's not really a sponsor. We have an ad for, uh, anchor FM, anchor.fm at the beginning of this podcast. And, um, that's negligible. Uh, we've made less than a dollar, uh, from that. So, but Hey, that's not why we're doing this. I just wanted to mention that we are available on podcasting 2.0 and, uh, it is cool because people have been streaming us sats and we've made more from that than we have from the ad that's running at the beginning of this show. As I said at the beginning, the price has been up again, down again, making that Bart Simpson and that reverse Bart Simpson pattern. Once again, dollar cost averaging has smoothed that out for us. As we mentioned, uh, Bitcoin has gone up to like 32 and down to like 29, but it seems like we've bought consistently right about the upper 29, lower $30,000 range every week for the last several weeks. So um, that's pretty cool. It certainly takes the stressing out of timing your purchases. Uh, if you're following, if you're staring at the price and staring at the, the charts uh, and trying to trying to t- time those buys, you, you end up tending to FOMO in and end up purchasing at the high because you're like, oh no, what if it goes higher and I miss out? So you end up buying and then it drops. It just seems like that's always the way it works for me anyway. Um, and by DCAing every Wednesday, we buy at a certain time anyway, and it's worked out nicely for us. As we also mentioned in the intro, Wyoming Senator Cynthia Lummis and New York Senator Kristen Gildebrand have introduced a Bitcoin bill into the United States Senate. Uh, it's actually being referred to as a crypto bill, and that's because it, in, it, it includes more than just Bitcoin. But some of the important, thing it, important things it does do is it codifies the right to self-custody. It So basically would put into law that the government can't ban your right to hold your own keys to transfer your Bitcoin off exchanges. And while that seems like, well, we shouldn't have to have that in law, that should just be common sense. At least, you know, it, at least it's not a bad thing. At least it's not saying you can't hold your own keys. And it's, it, you might say it's impossible. Well, it wouldn't be impossible. It'd be really easy to tell the exchanges, hey, you can't let people withdraw. Uh, and so this bill codifies into law your right to take your Bitcoin off exchanges. And that's a plus. It also declares that Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, I believe, are commodities, even though Ethereum is arguably an unregistered security. 
if you're familiar with what the Howey test is, the um, the test that the Supreme Court established to determine what a security is, uh, Ethereum clearly uh, clearly falls into that category. Uh, in fact, pretty much everything but Bitcoin falls into that category. And this bill would classify most other S coins as securities. Although I believe, and I haven't actually read the bill, I've only listened to what people have said about it and listened to the press conference and the interviews with Sen- Senator Lummis and Gildebrand. Uh, apparently, there's some room to grandfather large cap coins in as as uh, commodities, even though they would pass the Howey test. Who knows how that would would uh, would work out in the courts? Uh, but the idea there is uh, there's a lot of money in coins such as Ethereum and the other higher market cap coins. And if they were declared illegal unregistered securities, a lot of people would lose a lot of money at the stroke of a pen. So I can understand why they did that. And of course, even as is, it's probably going to force a lot of the S-coin casinos like Coinbase to delist a ton of S-coins because obviously it's illegal to sell an unregistered security and not a single coin out there at least not that I'm aware of, none of the major coins are registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And therefore, um, it's only a matter of time before the SEC comes and drops the hammer on pretty much every coin other than Bitcoin, which, as you know, has already been declared a commodity by the government. The ever-present question on, on Twitter, Reddit, whatever, maybe even in your mind is, are we early? Is it too late? And Matt O'Dell summed it up Great when he said uh, on his uh, on his uh, on his podcast yesterday, uh, quote, if you are buying Bitcoin, you are early. And he basically went on to explain that from hyper hyper Bitcoinization on, you won't be buying Bitcoin. Uh, You will be using it. You'll be earning it. Someone will give you Bitcoin and you'll be spending Bitcoin. So um, when you look at it that way and you figure that from hyper-Bitcoinization to eternity, 99.9% of the existence of Bitcoin, if Bitcoin is successful, will be functioning under uh, that environment where you won't be buying Bitcoin, you'll be earning Bitcoin. Uh, he did actually clarify later on in the podcast that um, someone had noticed he was smirking. And he said the reason he was smirking when he mentioned that is because while it's true what he said, we aren't really super early at this point. And that is true as well. If you look at the S-curve adoption that people like to refer to, uh, we're still in the we are still early, but we're not in the super early adopter phase. And obviously, with Bitcoin at thirty thousand dollars a coin, as opposed to you know ten thousand Bitcoin just for two pizzas, uh, we're nowhere near that early. But um, if you believe that Bitcoin is going to go to the moon one day, and if that moon is a hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars or a million or more, obviously at thirty thousand dollars you're early. Any, in my humble opinion, anything you pay uh, less than, if any Bitcoin that you purchase for less than the, the previous all-time high of $69,000 is a bargain compared to where it will be after the next four-year halving. If you listen to TechBalt, Bitcoin Meister, uh, Adam Meister, he, he always espouses his 210, uh, his 210,000 block theory, which says that uh, if you take any given day, the price of Bitcoin, and you and you take the number of the block height that you're at, and you subtract 210,000 blocks, and you look at what the price was 210,000 blocks ago, it's going to be less than it is today. So 
in theory, if you take any block on the blockchain and you go any and you look at the price of that block and you go 210,000 blocks in the future, Bitcoin has always been worth more. And it has. It always has throughout the entire existence of Bitcoin. So whatever the price of Bitcoin is, if you bought it $69,000 at its all-time high, if you take that block height and you add 210,000 blocks, if that theory holds, Bitcoin will be worth more 210,000 blocks four years from then, basically, um, than, it, than it was. So with that being said, my humble opinion is that anything below $69,000 is a bargain. And of course, I think Bitcoin will moon one day, whether it goes to a million, who knows. But um, I don't think it's unreasonable at all for it to go to the multiple $100,000 range. When you look at the market caps of companies like Apple and Tesla, companies that are some companies out there that aren't even making a profit that are losing millions of dollars a year uh, have a larger market capitalization than Bitcoin does. So there's definitely room uh, for Bitcoin to grow. And uh, of course, supply and demand would dictate as well that that means the price would go up. All right. Well, the ESG and environmental FUD continues. New York State passed a ban on new commercial proof of work mining. While it doesn't technically make it illegal for you to plug in an Antminer S9 in your basement, it does make it illegal to um, have a, a, a new to build a new uh, commercial mining farm in the state of New York. And you know what? F them. You know, New York is such a fluster cluck. Go ahead, shoot yourself in the foot. You know. Don't be a part of the don't be a part of the the Bitcoin economy. Let states like Texas and uh, Wyoming eat your lunch because people are fleeing New York anyway. People are sick of New York. Its population is shrinking. They're all coming to Texas. They're all coming to Florida. We're going to get your representatives. It's going to make states that have adopted Bitcoin that have embraced Bitcoin more powerful in the long run. So uh, go ahead, New York, knock yourself out. Doesn't bother me. Uh, of course, who cares where Bitcoin is mined? It's mined all over the world. It doesn't have to be mined in New York. And of course, it still will be uh, because most of the mines, people say that there's that there's centralization in mining pools like slush pool or ant pool or BTC pool or uh, or whatever. But most of the miners in these pools are not sitting in a quote unquote slush pool mining farm. They're Marty Bentz miners in his containers out at the oil fields or you know, the miner of the person that's using the person that's using their little ant miner S9 to heat their home in Canada or Norway or wherever, or the person mining in Phoenix, Arizona or Texas, or even, yes, New York. Uh, they're mining, you know, an ant miner S9 is never going to mine a, a block by itself. Statistically, you'd be, it's something like you'd have a better chance to win the Powerball like a hundred times in a row than to mine one block with an S9. And that's why most miners, unless they're crazy or maybe they, they have a lottery miner, um, have their miners pointed at mining pools. And the mining pool hash power uh, is coming from a lot of individual miners all over. They could be anywhere. They could be in Czechoslovakia. They could be in Florida. They could be in New York. They could be in Mexico, Brazil, El Salvador, whatever. Um, so good luck banning that, New York. And, and actually, I don't really care because I hate New York personally. Um, there's literally nothing socially redeeming about New York after, especially after COVID. I mean, the only reason to go to New York was for the great, li the great nightlife and the, see a play on Broadway or, you know, the city that never sleeps, right? Go out and, and, and see Times Square. And uh, now you just go there and you get mugged, you get thrown onto a subway, you have to wear a mask everywhere you go. I think their passport system is coming back. Uh, their taxes are through the roof. It's dirty, it's filthy, and it smells bad. So 
you know what? That's why we have 50 states in this in this country. If you want to live in an asshole and you uh, and you vote for politicians, they're going to make your state a, a horrible place to live. That's that's up to you. That's your prerogative. Go for it. Just please don't export your BS to where I live. The European Union passed a new aviation fuel tax bill, or they at least they have a proposed fuel tax bill to uh, discourage the wasteful, horrible polluting that um, that that airplanes do by burning fuel. So, of course, what do they do? They exempt private jets. Uh, most of the headlines say it exempts business travel because hey, we wouldn't want to impede business. But the language of the law says that it's that you don't have to pay the tax on flights used for business or pleasure. Which means, of course, when all the billionaires jet off to Davos, they will not be paying that fuel tax. But, you know, if, if you want to fly somewhere, well, after you take off your shoes and let them take naked pictures of you by going through the scanner, um, you're going to pay more because guess who's going to pay for that fuel charge, that fuel tax surcharge? You do. I don't know if you've flown anywhere recently, but if you look at what you pay for in your airline ticket, say, for example, Southwest Airlines has a $39 want to get away fee and you pay $39 to Southwest Airlines, but then you pay a $50 charge for the airport because they charge a gate fee and you pay taxes and you're going to pay fuel surcharges. And in the European Union, you're going to pay another fuel surcharge and you pay that. The business doesn't. Uh, but of course, the billionaires are not because when George Soros jets off to Davos or when Bill Gates flies around to tell you what vaccines you have to put in your body, he will not be paying that fuel tax. Speaking of hypocrisy, hypocrisy, did you see the video circulating showing a Chevy, uh, uh, a Chevrolet employee showing off how quote unquote clean their new Chevy Volt is? They've got it plugged into a building out, out front in Dearborn, Michigan, and a reporter asks, so what's charging the battery? And she says, oh, the building. And he says, yeah, but, but where's the power coming from? And she says, well, it's coming from Lansing Power, which is coal. Uh, I imagine they use quite a bit of natural gas, though. And then they cut away to uh, an executive from Lansing Power, and he says, uh, Lansing Power provides the building to this, the power to this building, and our power is a mix, but it's approximately 95% coal. And that's kind of funny. It amused me because I always used to tell my hippie friends that their Teslas are, quote, coal-fired cars. Enjoy your coal-fired car. You know, they feel like they're not, they've got a zero-emission car, but it's like, dude, that electricity came from somewhere, right? And unless it's being charged by a nuclear power plant, which most environmentalists absolutely hate anyway, your EV is either coal-fired or natural gas-fired or whatever that is being used to generate that power. In fact... EVs use more electricity by far than your Antminer S9. And more importantly, we just don't have enough power to power all those EVs. I'm all for electric vehicles if we get our grid together. But right now, if everybody were to transfer to electric cars, somebody estimated that we would have to build on the equivalent of 1,000 Palo Verde nuclear generating stations just to have the capacity to charge all those electric cars. And right now, we don't have enough electricity in states like Texas and California anyway. Remember all these rolling blackouts we had? Imagine what it's going to be like when every car that's driving on the freeway in Los Angeles is now plugged into the grid. You know, you can't water your lawn on certain days in 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 uh, in LA. And now it's just going to be a matter of time before you're not able to have power. Well, you're they're going to be you're not going to have power this summer. There will be rolling blackouts in California. They've said it. They just do not have enough power for existing load as it is. And every car that you add that's more electricity. 
Uh, I don't understand why people don't get it. I think a lot of people do. They just don't care. Uh, people just like to virtue signal. You know, they talk about how horrible binding is. At least mining gravitates towards unused power. You know, you wouldn't, you'd be an idiot to build a mining farm in, in, in a place in California that's going to have rolling blackouts. You're already paying some, for some of the most expensive power in the country already, which means you're not going to be profitable. And then your power is just going to be randomly shut off uh, because there's not enough. So uh, get ready for those summer blackouts as if the rolling blackouts during the winter or the days-long blackouts from the windmill failures in Texas weren't bad enough. Speaking of EVs, Ford F-150 brags that you can power your house for up to 10 days. Yes, it takes enough electricity to drive a Ford F-150, an electric Ford 150, that you can power your house for 10 days. Uh, according to an article, a Bloomberg article that appeared on Yahoo Finance, the Ford, the electric Ford, version of the Ford F-150 has almost, quote, almost 10 times the capacity of a Tesla Powerwall. Uh, they're bragging about that, like, you know, hey, if you have a power outage, they specifically go on to say in the article, in California, when you have these rolling blackouts, you can just plug your F-150 in. Not take into account that the lack of electricity was the reason why they're having the blackouts in the first place. You plug a bunch of EVs in, you're going to have even more blackouts. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's, you know, a, a what, a electric grid death spiral, so to speak, right? Yet, despite... Taking the enough electric, despite taking enough electricity to power your house for ten days, the electric F one hundred and fifty can still only drive three hundred and twenty miles on that electricity. That is insane. It's insane for two reasons: all that natural gas or coal you're burning, because all these states are also decommissioning their nuclear power plants. All that coal you're burning. Will would power a house for 10 days or your EV for just 320 miles. That's about a week for the average pickup truck driver. So imagine every week burning enough power to power your house for 10 days. Worse than that, imagine taking one-third of your power bill and every time you fill up your car, it adds one-third again to your power bill. So basically, uh, in a month, you're doubling your power bill. And that bill's going to show up in the mail, and your $300 power bill is now going to be a $600 power bill or whatever the case may be, depending on how expensive the power is where you live. I mean, just imagine every fill-up is going to cost you one-third of your electric bill, and it will be showing up on your bill. Make no doubt about it. That's not free electricity. Think about how often you fill up. Even now, trying to minimize gas miles because of the outrageous gas prices, most people still fill up every week, so... One third of your gas, one third of your home's electric bill, four times a week is more, th or four times a month is more than doubling that bill that you're going to get in the mail, uh, and that bill's already getting more expensive. If you live in a place that's really hot, it's super expensive to cool your home, and if you live in a place that's really cold, it's super expensive to heat your home, and those are vital. You know, you hear every year during a heat wave that people die of heat stroke, usually the elderly, because they're on a fixed income budget and they can't afford to heat their house or to cool their house in the summer. And they die of heat stroke in the summer or they'd freeze to death in the winter in their homes simply because they can't afford to turn the, the heat, air conditioning or the power on. How in the hell are they going to afford to double that bill so they can make you feel better about the environment by driving around in an electric vehicle? All right. I'm not necessarily against electric vehicles. You know, I kind of like the idea of 
of of some of the EVs out there. I think they're I think they're kind of cool, but I'm under no illusions that they're emission free, that there's zero emissions because something is charging that battery. You know, my laptop is zero emissions, but it doesn't mean the coal-fired power plant isn't supplying the electricity to charge the laptop. Anyway, that's enough rant for this week. Let's get into the meat of why we're here, and that is because today is DCA Wednesday. And if you're not familiar with DCA is, if this is the first time you're listening to us, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging. And dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals, regardless of price. As we said, we've been investing $20 every Wednesday since uh, last July 28th. So our equal portion is 20 bucks. Our regular interval is weekly. How you choose to invest is up to you. As they say, you do you, you do your own research. I chose $20 for two reasons. I chose it because, precisely because it's not a lot of money, because like you always see on Reddit or Bitcoin Twitter people asking, hey, I only have X number of dollars. Is that is that enough? Is it even worth it? And I wanted to show that, you know, for people that are saying, I, I can only afford $100, is it worth buying $100 of the Bitcoin? Well, we're only buying 20. And I wanted to show that over time, even stacking just $20 with the sats every month or every week uh, adds up. But you do you invest what you feel appropriate or what you feel comfortable with and at whatever frequency you feel comfortable with. Most people DCA on their page on their payday. They take a little bit out of their paycheck and, and have it automatically deposited into uh, you know their brokerage firm or cash app or whatever they use to invest. And uh, whether that's every Friday or every other Friday, that seems to be uh, the most common way to DCA, but there are services out that let you that will let you DCA hourly. I think there's one service out there that will even let you DCA every minute now. Um, we stick with every week, and that seems so far to have smoothed out the prices. We bought the highs, we bought the lows, but for example, with all the volatility we've had, even though it's relatively low volatility compared to what Bitcoin can do, uh, with the volatility, we've smoothed our purchases out the last six weeks in a row we've purchased at almost you know similar prices so um so that's cool i think i think weekly weekly works for us but you do you pick your time frame pick the amount you feel uh that you can uh or that you're comfortable investing you know an amount that you are that you're not going to need for a while because dca is a long-term strategy uh, regardless of what you're investing in it's a long-term strategy but particularly with bitcoin tending to run in four-year cycles if the four-year cycles continue, that means you'll want to hold that Bitcoin for a minimum of four years. Uh, if you look back, they always show um, if you had bought Bitcoin 10 years ago and you'd invested only X number of dollars, you'd be a millionaire or whatever by now. So what I'm trying to establish is I'm, I'm, I want to 10 years from now look back and say, I did buy 10 years ago. So 10 years is my horizon, although I don't ever plan on actually selling my Bitcoin I want to be part of that hyper-Bitcoinized world. I'm, I don't ever intend to sell. Uh, maybe I'll live off my Bitcoin one day, but not for a long, long time in the future. And you should be buying your Bitcoin with the mindset of hodling, building that stack, and not and not selling uh, for four years, ten years, ever, whatever your whatever your time frame is. But DCA is definitely not a get-rich-quick strategy. Bitcoin shouldn't be that for you anyway, because timing the market is horrifically difficult in any investment and a lot of people have been really wrecked trading so we're going to dca and so far we've stacked what we've we stacked 45 times um we have stacked a total of 900 dollars uh 
and uh, we've stacked at an average cost basis of $44,770.80. We have a little over 2 million sats to show, uh, and we're going to add to that today. And to do that, we're going to stack with the Cash App. Uh, I use the Cash App because I think it's super easy. Uh, I think it's the easiest way to stack. There are lots of ways you can stack Bitcoin. There's, uh, depending on how much you purchase, if you're going to buy a lot, you're probably better off using an exchange such as you know Coinbase Pro, the evil empire, mind you, uh, where you could stack for a very, very low fee because uh, those fees can add up if you're talking large amounts of money. But for 20 bucks, Cash App's relatively inexpensive. I think it's going to cost us about 45 cents in fees to stack that $20. And I just like Cash App. Cash App may or may not be your choice. Again, that's up to you. If you do not have Cash App and you would like to use Cash App, we do have a referral code in the show notes. If you click on that link and sign up for Cash App, you'll get five bucks free just for signing up and we'll get five bucks free as well. So that's one way you can help support the podcast. Cash App is not a refer- is not a, a sponsor of the show. Any Cash App customer has a referral code that you can use. Uh, and ours is, we don't even have a customer referral code. Ours is you know, Alphabet Soup, which is why I have a link instead of saying it. You know, oftentimes you hear stack using, you know, Chupacabra 10 to get 10% off or whatever. We we don't have a fancy code like that, but it is in the notes. So if you want to use Cash App and you don't have it, please consider using that referral code. You'll get five bucks, we'll get five bucks, and that'll help us both out. We are going to, well, I, I don't, one of the things I do like about Cash App is I don't keep any money on Cash App. Um, so I can transfer money to Cash App instantly because I have a debit card linked to my Cash App account. I believe you can you can link a checking account or a debit card and they let you use that money instantly. A lot of uh, apps, they won't let you purchase, um, or even if they will let you make a purchase, they won't let you move your Bitcoin right away. I think if you were to wire money to Coinbase, last time uh, I did use Coinbase, I used a wire transfer, and it took five business days before the money was available to be spent. And then it was several days more before they would let me transfer to my hardware wallet to make sure that that wire transfer wasn't reversed. Uh, You know, all those horrible things about the legacy fiat system that Bitcoin fixes. So anyway, the nice thing about Cash App is I've added 20 bucks and I can immediately buy Bitcoin with it and immediately send it to my hardware wallet if I choose. Uh, I do recommend you transfer your coin off of whatever exchange you purchase, purchase on but I don't purchase personally transfer until I have about a million sats, maybe 500,000 sats, because in the past, mining fees have been really expensive. And so if you have a bunch of $20 lumps of Satoshis in your hardware wallet and you go to purchase something or spend it in the future, uh, and it's going to take three or four of those, you're going to end up with a large transaction that might cost you a significant amount of money to send. So um, again, that's something you need to figure out on your own, but you you want to uh, you want to be securing your Bitcoin. You don't want to be leaving it on exchange for a variety of reasons, but it's also reasonable to not want to transfer just twenty dollars of the Bitcoin to a hardware wallet because there have been times in the past when a Bitcoin transaction cost twenty dollars. Uh, hopefully, we'll never see that again. There were a lot of things that caused those horrific fees in two thousand seventeen. Since then, we've adopted Segwit, which has dramatically increased the the size of transactions which makes them less expensive because your mining fee is based on the, the number of the, the, the size the, in bytes of data that your transaction takes up. Uh, and also there was some spamming going on because if you remember there had been a fork 
that was promote, promoting large blocks and they were trying to show that their coin would be cheaper because it could handle more transactions and that Bitcoin uh, would clog up. And so they were spamming the network basically to clog Bitcoin up and that's over and done with. Uh, in addition, large exchanges were sending their coins out in individual transactions when we, when you withdrew. Now most of the exchanges are batching their transactions. You know, when you go to withdraw, it isn't super instantaneous. It takes a little while because they combine your transaction with however many they can put together in one transaction and send it off to save on fees. Uh, and that's a tangent. What I'm saying is uh, get your coins off of exchanges, but keep in mind that you'll want to transfer enough Bitcoin that it's worth it when you, when you when it comes time to move it, even if you're just moving it to a different hardware wallet because you will have to pay a mining fee in the future. That is one other reason I like using uh, Cash App is because while other apps charge you less in fees to buy Bitcoin, Cash App will let you transfer your Bitcoin for free. So I'm not going to pay a mining fee when I transfer this Bitcoin to my hardware wallet. And even though we're going to pay 45 cents to buy it, uh, we're not going to pay 25, 30 cents to transfer it. So that offsets some of that cost. Anyway, I've already added $20 to my Cash App. So I'm going to tap the little Bitcoin logo on the bottom right hand corner. And I'm going to click buy. And I'm going to tap $20. And then it's going to ask me to confirm. And boom, just like that, we have purchased another 64,891 sats. And that is going to bring our stack up to 2,075,130 sats. But perhaps more importantly, it's dropped our dollar, our average cost basis down another 400 something dollars. Our average cost basis is now down to $44,334.57. That's down $436.23 from where it was before we made this purchase. So that's the neat thing about DCA is we bought the highs and we're also buying the lows. And while Bitcoin is down, um, that, that stack, stacking at the, at the cheaper prices, is changing what the average cost of our Bitcoin is. So even though we've paid as much as $66,000 a coin, our average now is only $44,334. So uh, we are a little bit in the red on our stack right now, but uh, I am not worried about that at all because I think four years from now, uh, if someone said you could have bought Bitcoin for $44,000, you'd say, wow, I wish I had some of that $44,000 Bitcoin. And to put it into perspective, if Bitcoin ever hits that $1 million mark, that magic $1 million moon, our 2 million sats will be worth $20,751.30. And that is a heck of a return for a $920 investment. So um, if you believe Bitcoin's going to go up like I do, uh, you just want to grow your stack. I like to say I, 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 I want to start my day, I want to end my day with more sats than I started it with. That's my goal. I, I, I don't even really look at prices right now. Obviously, price determines how much Bitcoin you get for your dollar. But the important thing for me is just keep building that stack. And if you've been following us in less than a year, in about 11 months now, you've gone, you've gone from a no-coiner to having over 2 million sats. Um, so that's pretty cool. Hey, if you've been following along and you would like to support us, there are a number of ways you can do so. First of all, please follow us on Twitter. We are at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. 
Please also consider subscribing to our YouTube channel. We're Bitcoin Bulletin on Bitcoin. Uh, there's a link to our Bitcoin. There's a link to the Bitcoin Bulletin YouTube channel in the show notes, uh, and that is where you can find video versions of this podcast. They come out a little bit after the audio version because um, I'm recording on the Anchor.fm app. So as soon as I hit end and publish, basically, this will be ready to listen to. Then I have to put the video version together, and it sometimes takes a while to upload. But uh, we are available on Twitter on on, uh, on YouTube as well. If you do follow us on Twitter and you want to help support us and feel so inclined, you can tip us via Twitter. We do have tipping enabled. You can also support us directly through Anchor.fm. There's a support link in the show notes for that as well. Of course, listening to us on the Fountain app or your favorite podcasting 2.0 app will allow you to either stream sats as you listen or, or boost us if, you, if you've enjoyed listening to the show. And when you send a boost, you can send a boost message. So if you want to give us a shout out, Go ahead and hit that boost, and if you uh, don't send anything super offensive, and we don't get just overwhelmed with boosts, we'll be happy to, you know, read your message if you want us to uh, on the next podcast. You can also support us using the referral links, as we mentioned. We have that Cash App referral link that'll get you five bucks if you prefer Strike, and Strike is a really cool way to either stack or send Bitcoin to people. Uh, we have a referral link for Strike in the show notes as well, and if you use that referral link, you'll get $10, and we'll get $10. Uh, I've also written several books, including Understanding Bitcoin for Noobs, and those are available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Obviously, buying any of my books will help support us. And we have a Base32 address in the show notes if you'd like to contribute Bitcoin directly. Of course, if you're watching the video version of this podcast on YouTube, you'll probably notice the QR code in the bottom left-hand corner, and that's for that Base32 address. Again, if you'd like to give us a, uh, a, a shout-out, if you'd like to contact us, let us know what you like about the podcast or what you don't like about the podcast, maybe what you'd like to hear us talk about in the future, you can contact us via Twitter. Again, we're at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter. And our email is bitcoinbulletin at protonmail.com. Do not forget to join us this Wednesday and every Wednesday for our DCA episodes. And until then, keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.
the sky is not falling. In fact, I argue this is like manna. This is truly a gift from the gods. When the dust settles, you're going to look back at this week as one of the most historic weeks in Bitcoin. It's probably why, if you notice on Twitter, all the OG hodlers are celebrating.